Only the Spirit of God can give the gift of repentance in the heart and life of a person. And what God was saying to Jonah is, look, I just need a body to do what I tell him to do. I, you, you don't have to spend 15, 20 hours uh, preparing a message. I got eight words for you. If you can remember these eight words, you say this and watch what I will do. This is Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Loretz. Why don't you join us in our study of the Old Testament prophet Jonah? We're in a series called God's Severe Mercy. Now, for many of us, the story of Jonah is all about him being swallowed by a great fish. But there's far more to it than that. The story is this. God will sometimes ask us to do something we don't want to do. And if we refuse, he will accomplish his intentions either through our obedience or our disobedience. And as we're seeing in the life of Jonah, it's far better to get rid of our self-righteousness and pride and just submit to the will of God, letting him accomplish his purposes in and through us. If you're new to our program, Crawford has been involved in church and organizational ministry for over 40 years and has authored several books, including Leadership as an Identity, Unshaken, Letters from a Birmingham Jail, and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. Find out more on our website, livingalegacy.org. Let's head to Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Here's Crawford Loretz with the message, Recommissioned and Repentance on Living a Legacy. Part of the challenge whenever you read a narrative like the, like the book of Jonah, a short story like this, is that when you preach it, you just take slices of it. So I've been going back and connecting the hoses. So let's go back and just review a little bit. Over in chapter 1, God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrians, they were just vicious, vile, and violent people. They, they, they were brutal. And basically what Jonah said to God was, no, I am not going. Rather than going the 500 miles up to Nineveh from Joppa, what he decides to do, he gets on this boat and he goes the 2,000 miles in the opposite direction. He said, I'm not going to Joppa, I'm going to Tarsus. And God says to him in so many words, hey, look, you're going to tell me what you're not going to do? And by the way, I mentioned that there are two, there are two, two messages, two things themes, two streams of thought that find, you find going through Jonah chapter 1 all the way through chapter 4. And that is, number one, God will sometimes tell us to do what we don't want to do. And number two, it's not a good idea to tell God no. Terrible idea. But that's what Jonah did, and God hurls, hurls this storm at this ship. Jonah's in the ship sleeping. God gets his attention. Uh, they find out that Jonah is a, there's a cause for all of this mess. And Jonah says, well, just throw me overboard. That wasn't a statement of repentance. It was a statement of confession. And we should not confuse the two. Jonah was not remorseful. He was angry. He was mad. God, and they throw him overboard. God prepared this big fish, another sign of God's severe mercy, comes alongside. Jonah is swallowed into, inside the belly of this fish. And that's where God does severe business with Jonah. When Jonah is tasting death in a watery grave, he cries out, salvation is of God. And at that moment, God tells this big fish, drop him off on the beach. And so here we come to chapter, chapter 3, chapter 3. I've entitled the chapter the same as the outline of the chapter. The chapter is entitled Recommissioned and Repentance. Recommissioned and Repentance. Have you ever failed the Lord and disobeyed God and been the target of his discipline? 
I suppose if you've been a follower of Christ any longer than two or three years, the answer to that is it's a rhetorical question. Yes, indeed. Uh, we've, we've been disobedient to the Lord, and it did not work out. And God in his mercy, and this, this sounds terrible, but it's a wonderful mercy. God in his mercy allowed us to feel the pain of that disobedience. He allowed us to feel the pain of that disobedience so that we could get right back on track and really realize that the the greatest place to be is where God wants you to be. The greatest thing to do is the very thing God wants you to do. And that's the greatest thing to be and the greatest thing to do. Aren't you glad that God is a God of a second chance? I shouldn't say second chance. God is a God of another chance. And that's that's what Jonah experiences. He experiences another chance, another chance. So what's happened here? All right, Jonah tells God no. He's in the belly of this fish. He's thrown up on the land, and God says, okay, buddy, um, uh, let's do this again. You see, God's, <laughs> God's mercy in our failure should produce gratitude and obedience, and that's exactly what we see from Jonah. What we see in his life is that his failure, and yet God's mercy in his failure at least at this point in chapter 3, the story doesn't end well in chapter 4, a little hint about next week, but at least at this point in chapter 3, Jonah is grateful. Jonah is glad to be alive, and Jonah is actually receiving uh, uh, the mercy of God and celebrating that. It reminds me of what Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, and that is that, that, that the kindness of God should lead us to repentance. So Jonah has experienced this kindness. So now we come to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, God is basically recommissioning Jonah. He's recommissioning him. And here we see in verses 1 and 2, he says, God says, okay, let me give you the call again. Let me give you the call again. He says here in verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, a do-over, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So, this is eerily, strikingly similar to chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. Basically, it's the same calling. He's saying to Jonah, okay, now listen, I'm going I'm to give you a do-over. I'm going to give you a do-over. I have not rescinded the call. No, you failed me the first time. You let me down the first time. You thought better than I thought the first time. Your way was better than my way the first time. Your self-righteousness got in your way the first time. So now I I want to give you a do-over in my mercy. And so he reiterates this call. He reiterates this call. Now, he not only forgave Jonah, notice, but he commissioned him for service. He not only forgave Jonah, but he commissioned him for service. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Failure is not final in our lives. Failure does not necessarily mean that God will not use you in the future. As a pastor, I've heard story after story after story of people who have beaten themselves up because of some sinful failure in their background. Now, there's, there's, there's some sins and some failures that might inhibit us from certain roles and certain leadership and that kind of thing, but who said God cannot use you? Who said because you failed in the past that God cannot 
give you another call, wipe you off, clean you up, and send you right back out there. Now, if, if, in case you wonder about that, go back and read chapters 1 and 2 of Jonah. Jonah was obnoxious. He had been called by God. He knew better. And here we have the tender God of the universe recommissioning this man. There's meaning and purpose in your life. Jonah, 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 you are alive because your primary role is to go to Nineveh and share my message with them. So he recommissioned him. Now, now again, we need to keep in mind, keep in mind that the Assyrian Empire was unusually violent. Now, I said this in the first message, uh, Jonah had some pushback against, uh, against Nineveh because it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrians were the oppressors of the Jews, and they were violent people. I mean, they did awful things. They, they oppressed their captives. They took advantage. They, they, would, they would cut their knees off and, sh- and cut one of their arms off, and as they were dying, they would shake their hands to mock them. They were terrible people. And yet at this juncture, you don't hear Jonah saying no. You don't see him focusing on the condition of the people. At this point, Jonah is focusing on the call of God. The call of God. God called him to go to these people, and so now Jonah is is responding to to God's call. Verse 2 says, he says, God says, and I want you to call out. In the Hebrew there, that's that's a, a word that's used of a formal announcement such as one made by an official messenger or an ambassador. And I think the word is chosen there to, to, to symbolize Jonah's mission. Jonah, you are on mission with me. You don't represent your own interests. You don't represent what you want to say for me. You tell them what I put in your mouth to say. You represent me. It is not your ideas that will bring deliverance. It's not your thoughts that will bring deliverance. It's not your perspective that will bring deliverance. What will bring deliverance to this people are the words that I put in your mouth. Now remember that you represent me. You represent me. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, as we do ministry, we got to understand the difference between what we want to see and what God wants done. That we represent him. And the power in our ministry is not found in our own creativity or in our own ingenuity or in our own smarts. It's found when we humbly submit to what God wants done and what he wants said. We are ambassadors for Christ. And so this is the point. Jonah, okay, here's the calling. Here's the calling. You're my messenger. You tell me yes. You call out. And you tell them what I put in your mouth. How did Jonah respond? Jonah respond. Well, there was no pushback this time. Verse 3 says, so Jonah arose and went. (laughs) You go back to chapter 1, yeah, he arose and went, but he went in the opposite direction. He didn't go to Nineveh in chapter 1. He went to Tarsus. But here we see that God tells him what to do Jonah, still smelling like the belly of that whale or that fish or whatever it was, he says, okay, I remember what just happened. Uh, Don't tell God no the second time. Don't push him off the second time. So what does he do? He responds. He arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, how about us? 
How about us? Do we have to, do, does God have to conjole us? Does he have to keep prodding us? Does he have to negotiate with us? And by the way, God doesn't do negotiating. We do the negotiating. God goes, really? No, Jonah went. He responded. And here in, in, in verse 3, it says that, that uh, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Now, my, my research indicates that Nineveh was surrounded by an inner wall and an outer wall. The, the outer wall was about 50 feet high, and check this out, and the inner wall was about 100 feet high. Now, the, the city was about eight miles in circumference, and the outer wall was not just right next to the inner wall. The outer wall was some distance out. In fact, in fact, uh, the outer wall surrounded other smaller towns and fields. So it says it was a three days journey. What, what, what they're saying is that it took Jonah three days uh, to, 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 to walk through uh, all, all the various uh, suburbs and areas there in Nineveh and speak to the various groups, giving them God's message. Now, this meant that he, he, he was laboring. He had time to say, I don't want to do this, but then he remembered what God did. Now, I'm doing it this time. This is my response. My response is to be faithful. Now, what was the message that he was going to give to them? Here's the message. Verse 4. Unbelievable. <laughs> so Jonah is walking, going throughout all these little villages, all these little areas, segments of the cities, meeting with groups of people, and listen to the message that he's to give them. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out eight words, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. That was his message. He walks into a little group of people over here. Uh, by the way, my name is Jonah, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Goes over here, group of people, yeah, my name is Jonah, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, what, what you have to understand is that that, that, was not a, uh, that was not a very relational message. Um... Jonah didn't have any relational hooks in that message. He, he did not first set them up and establish rapport with them and identify common ground with them and tell a joke or so or maybe a story to, to, to get them to listen to him, this kind of thing. There was none of that prefacing, prefacing or uh, introductory remarks or any of that kind of thing. Yet 40 days and Nineveh is going to be Destroyed. Uh, this, is, uh, this is remarkable to me. Jonah wasn't there, in the words of Tim Keller, Jonah wasn't there in Nineveh to do social work. He wasn't there in Nineveh to develop a following. He wasn't there in Nineveh to see if the people would like him. He wasn't there in Nineveh to really project a winsome personality. He was there in Nineveh under the direction of God Almighty 
to deliver to them a very unpopular message. And God was clear about the message. You got 40 days to get your act together. At the end of that time, if you do not get your act together, I, the God of the ages, will destroy you. You know, you know, as I say these words here, this is very unpopular. I think what's missing in some of our messages, now, now, now hear me on this, hear me on this, we're to preach the whole counsel of God, we're, we're, we're to, our tone should match the text that we're preaching, um, but I think what's missing in some of our preaching is the reality of the judgment of God. No, you don't do what you want to do and get away with it. Even unbelievers. Jonah was talking to unbelievers. He was not talking to Israel. As we pointed out in the book, Jonah, I believe, is the only prophet in the Old Testament whose mission was, his, whose mission was to a pagan country. Now, if you want to call Daniel a prophet, that's a different piece. But, but Jonah was sent to, to unbelievers. Usually prophets in the Old Testament, they were sent to the nation to decry their, their lack of faithfulness. Uh, uh, they're, 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 they're veering off of course. But here Jonah is sent to Nineveh. And you don't hear God putting a whole lot of cotton and cushion in the message. There comes a time where the sins of a nation are so heinous, are so reprehensible, that it's almost abusive to downplay them. And God gives Jonah a very clear message. And Jonah articulates that message. Now, what happens? So here you have Jonah recommissioned. He's called, and this time he responds. He, he, he goes. There's no yeah buts. There's no, no pushback. He does what God says. He gives him this eight-word message, which is not how to win people and influence people and gain your enemies over and all of that stuff. No, no, no. 40 days, buddy. Nineveh is going to be destroyed. You, 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 would think, you would think that these people, seeing this prophet walking into their villages, walking into the shopping centers, walking into these little crowds together, you would think that you don't, they, they, these people would say, you, you've lost your ever-loving mind. Who are you? Why should we listen to you? What, what, are, you, what, are, you, what are you talking about? You would think that they would be rolling on the ground laughing at him. What an idiot. Who do you think we are? We're, we're, the, we're the mighty Assyrians. We're, we're, we're mighty Nineveh. How did they respond? You see, the power was not in Jonah. Let me just say this as I set this up. The power was not in Jonah. The power is not in Jonah's ability to, to turn a phrase. The power is not in Jonah's ability to, to say something that was attractive. The power is not in his illustrations. And for those of you who preach, you need to pay attention to this. You need to pay attention to this. The power in your message is not the structure of your sermon. It's not even the outline of your sermon. 
It's not the transition statements that you make. It's not the illustrations that you give. It's not the crisp applications that you give. Those are good techniques and tools, and we should use them. But the power in what you say is what God says. God says that's where the power comes. Not in your social critique or cultural critique. And we see a powerful illustration of this. Jonah yielded to what God said. I would, have, I would not have chosen to give that kind of message. I would have said, well, let's talk about some issues that are common ground and bring them over here. No, no, he gives this eight-word message, and it's a message of destruction. What happens? Well, what happens is repentance, beginning at verse 5. In fact, verses 5 through 10, the central message of this passage is repentance. Repentance. You see, by the way, the Bible teaches in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, where that repentance is always a work of God. We can't make people repent. We can call them to it, but we can't make people repent. Only the Spirit of God can give the gift of repentance in the heart and life of a person. And what God was saying to Jonah says, look, I just need a body. I just need a body to do what I tell them to do. I, you, you listen, listen, I, you, you don't have to think about this. You don't have to spend 15, 20 hours uh, preparing a message. Uh, I got eight words for you. If you can remember these eight words, you say this and watch what I will do. First, the people repent in verse 5. Again, the message is, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 5 says, and the people of Nineveh, listen, listen, believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Notice how emphatic this is. He said, no, 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 not, not some people, not some people, not powerful people, not a group of people, but the greatest of the people to the least of them. All stratas of society responded to that message of judgment. I mean, it's remarkable to me. He had 40 days and Nineveh's going to be destroyed. And it said the people believed God. Why did they believe God? Because God had prepared their hearts to hear this message from his heart. They believed him. But don't miss this. Not, not only did they believe God, the text says that they put on sackcloth. They fasted and put on sackcloth. Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, and that was the first part of his message, Recommissioned and Repentance. The story of Jonah is a great illustration about why it's so important to do what God asks. We are limited in our ability to understand God's purposes, but like Jonah, we need to come to the realization that God's ways are best, as he sees a much larger picture in his grace and justice. Well, this is all part of Crawford's latest series called God's Severe Mercy, A Study of Jonah. If you just joined us in the series and would like to get caught up, check out our website where you can stream each message in the series or download these messages for free through the link on our website. Start with livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Thanks so much for your emails. They are a great encouragement to us. Part two of Recommissioned and Repentance next week right here. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.